Good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. We, um, if you've been with us the last couple weeks in this message series, the Spiritual Audit, you're aware of the fact that I mentioned this, that every year uh, here at Seabreeze, we hire an independent uh, CPA firm to conduct either a review or an audit of our finances. And we do this for obvious reasons. It's not good enough for us or really any business to just feel good about themselves financially. It's really important to get an independent verification of the facts. And this year, I thought it would be good to expand the Seabreeze audit process from just a financial one to a spiritual one. And the reason is because there's much more at stake for us uh, when it comes to our relationship with God than there ever will be financially. And so we're, we're conducting a spiritual audit of sorts, looking at the condition of our relationship with God. It's not enough for us just to feel a certain way. We, we really need independent verification of the facts. So the spiritual CPA that I've selected for this process is the Old Testament prophet of Malachi. This is the last book in the Old Testament portion of the Bible, and it's a summary of really the human condition from God's point of view. And what's interesting about this book is it's not just God talking, it's a back and forth. God will uh, declare a finding. Um, The people then protest, say that's not true of us, and then God puts his finger on the evidence, either something they've done or something they've said that makes the case that this really is true of them. Now, this spiritual audit was conducted 2,400 years ago, but its conclusions are still very true for us today, and that is because while a lot has changed in human history, the human heart has not really changed. Our condition is about the same. In the opening statement, God declares his love for them and for us, and that's a huge relief because this audit is not a favorable one for them or for us. And so God makes it really clear at the beginning that this audit is not about his love for them. That's already been settled. With that in place, then God proceeds to present four problems that's going on in their relationship with him, and the same four problems are true for us. The first two that God identifies involve a strategy that I'm referring to as cooking the books. Now, I'm borrowing a phrase from the financial world. Cooking the books is the practice of making the financial data look better than it really is, and we do this kind of thing morally all the time. We try to project an image of ourselves that's really better than, than who we really are. And we oftentimes fool ourselves into thinking that we're doing much better than we really are. We cook the books morally. Now, while we can fool others and we can often fool ourselves, God, of course, is not fooled. So to get at the truth, he asks two very important questions, diagnostic questions. The first question is, how well are you loving me? The second question is, how well are you loving other people? And we looked at the first question last week, how well are we loving and honoring God? And now this week we turn to the second question, how well are we loving other people? Now you may ask, what does that have to do with our relationship with God? I mean, this is a spiritual audit, which means it focuses on the nature of our relationship with God. What, what does how we're treating other people have to do with that? Well, God does not compartmentalize love the way we often do. We're able to love this person and then not love this person and then hate this person and then love this person and kind of separate all that. And God says, no, it's it's all connected. Love, it turns out, is both vertical relationship with him and horizontal relationship with other people. Here's what he says in this finding in Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. He says, another thing you do. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and you wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? 
It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you've broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Now, the main subject of these verses is divorce. But divorce is really only the most glaring example of the larger issue that God is addressing here. God takes the way we treat other people very personally. Now, in this case, men were walking out on their marriages. There are a lot of causes for divorce, but in this case, these men had just decided that they didn't want to be married anymore. They were walking out on their wives. And then they would go to God, and they would pray, and they would go to the temple, and they would do the offerings, and they would bring a lot of emotions with them. But nothing would happen. It was clear to them that God was not listening to their prayers or being pleased with their offerings. And so they were asking why. So God says, you ask why. You know something's off. You can tell that I'm not pleased. And you can't figure out why. Because you're being very emotional. I mean, basically they're saying, God, can't you tell how serious I'm about you? I mean, look at all the emotion that I'm expressing to you. I mean, I'm, I'm weeping and I'm wailing. And guys don't do that a whole lot. This is how serious I am about you. For us, emotion is the primary way we audit love, whether it's love for God or love for someone else. If we feel strongly enough about someone, then while it's obvious to us, that's real love. We love them. And then, of course, if those feelings go away, well, then that's evidence that we no longer love them. But God is not fooled by this emotional cooking of the books. He says, I don't care if you flood my altar with tears. I just will not ignore how you treated your wife. You made a promise to her to be her partner for life. You had children with her, and then you walked out on her. Because you found someone that you had more feelings for or because your feelings for her just faded? God refers to this as breaking faith. Breaking faith. That's an interesting statement. What does faith have to do with a relationship? Well, faith, it turns out, is the critical bond that holds every relationship together. This is why if a married person cheats on their spouse, we refer to that as being what? Unfaithful, not having faith. Faith occurs whenever you trust and believe in someone that you cannot see. That's what faith is. Now, it's obvious why we need faith. To form a relationship with God because we can't see him. But we can see people. Why do we need faith to form a relationship with people? Well, it's because while we can see people, we can't see the important parts of people. We can't see their hearts. We don't know everything that's in their hearts. We can listen to them and observe them over time and get a glimpse, but we really can't see into the hearts of people. In fact, it's really hard for us to see into our own hearts sometimes. And we certainly can't see the choices that people are going to make in the future. We don't even know what we're going to do in the future. And that invisible part represents a huge risk when it comes to forming a relationship, especially one as deep as marriage. That requires faith. Every relationship requires faith. This is why in in these uh, verses, God declares that love exists in two dimensions. There is the vertical dimension, the our love for God. You know, here we are, and there's a love for God. There's a vertical dimension of love. And then there's also this horizontal dimension, our love for each other. And these are not separated. These are connected. They they go together. 
So the faith that they can be trusted, someone else can be trusted, is designed to be tied to a deeper faith that God can be trusted, even when the people that we have trusted fail us. The vertical dimension is designed to anchor and stabilize the horizontal dimension. In the Malachi audit, God addresses both dimensions, the breaking faith with God dimension, the vertical dimension, and the breaking faith with each other dimension, the horizontal dimension. Begins with the breaking faith with God, and that's where we'll begin. Breaking faith with God. This explains how our break with God has affected our relationships with each other, not just marriages, but all relationships. Here's what we read in Malachi 2.10, the beginning of this finding. Have we not all one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? It starts out by saying we all have the same father. That father is God. He's the one who created us. So what does this have to do with breaking faith with each other? What does this have to do with love? Well, love, it turns out, is God's dominant trait. It's his dominant characteristic. Whenever you father a child, that child takes on your traits. There's a genetic connection that's established between you and the child. There are similarities between you and that child. They may have your eyes or your nose or your skin color. These similarities physically are transmitted through DNA. DNA is a string of genes that contain the code of life. Now, as our father, God establishes a similar kind of connection between him and us. Not a physical genetic connection, but a genetic connection of sorts. The phrase that's used in Scripture to describe this connection is we are made in his image. There are traits that we bear that are similar to him. Now, these traits, of course, aren't physical because, well, he's not physical. So we can't have his eyes, we can't have his nose, because he doesn't have eyes, physical eyes. He doesn't have a physical nose. And so this is why God gave us an invisible spirit. And in that spirit, he placed his traits, a code of conduct that mirrors and is based on the way he is. This is why we are moral. Throughout history, people have wondered, why are we alone in all of creation moral? Why do we seem so concerned about what is right and what is wrong? Why do we alone feel guilt? This is why. All of this points to our Father, whose very character is the basis for what is right and what is wrong. And the primary genetic marker of our morality is love, because that's the primary marker of God's character is love. This is why love is such a big deal to us. It's the dominant trait of God, and therefore, it's the most important thing in life to us. We can't shake this. We literally are obsessed with it. Look at any point in human history in any culture, and you can see this obsession. So how do we profane the covenant? Why do we do this, and how do we do this? What is the covenant? Well, the covenant is the written code of what God says is right and wrong. 
the moral DNA of God. And we break this code by not doing what God says is right. And when we do that, we break faith with God, and that cascades down to cause a break in faith with each other. I, I didn't have to tell my son to have blue eyes. That was automatic. So why isn't love automatic with us? I mean, if we're made in the image of God and one of God's primary traits is love, then why don't we just automatically love? Well, it's because of the nature of love. Love is a very different trait than blue eyes. Love is a choice. We all have to decide whether we're going to love or not. Whenever I perform a wedding as a pastor, I sign the marriage license. And that signature is one of five signatures that goes on a marriage license. The two people that I marry, they sign that license. And their signature indicates we freely chose to marry each other. And then there's a witness from each of their sides that also signed that license indicating we know these people and we saw them make the decision. Then my, my role as the officiant, the state calls me, I'm the official, I declare, look, this really did happen. And all of that is to verify this was a free choice. These two people made this decision to love each other. This means that you can't hand down love like you can blue eyes. Each person has to choose this trait, whether to love or not. My kids didn't choose blonde hair. That was automatic. But as God's offspring, we must choose to obey his code. But of course, there's the problem, isn't it? We have all chosen to ignore God's DNA, not just the love part, but the rest of it. And that has caused damage. I mean, just like physical DNA. What happens when physical DNA is damaged? Well, the body doesn't develop correctly. The same thing has happened with our spirit. By ignoring God's code, our spirit now is damaged. Can't see it, but boy, we can feel it. The primary place that this damage shows up is the primary trait of God, that is love. It shows up in our relationships, really more than almost anywhere else. shows up other places, but this is the primary place it shows up, where the damage surfaces. We still long for the kind of love that we were created for, but we struggle now to not break faith with each other. And God goes on in this audit to explain a couple of reasons why this occurs. The first reason is we build love now in midair. We build love in midair. What I'm saying is we remove that vertical dimension, and the horizontal dimension now just floats in midair. It's all about our love for each other and not much more than that. Here's what God says in Malachi 2.11. Judah has broken faith. He's one of the tribes of Israel. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. This is speaking to the fact that God had forbidden his people to marry someone who worshipped a foreign god. Why? Love, by its very nature, is a venture of faith. As such, it's always two-dimensional. It always has the God dimension that's designed to anchor the love for each other dimension. And what this means is in God's design, 
A common faith is the solid ground on which a marriage was designed to flourish. When both are standing on the same faith ground, it gives them a stability from which to grow and develop their love for each other. Now, of course, love doesn't require the same faith ground. Love is always a choice. It doesn't need God. So you can love without believing in the same God or really believing in any God. But a love without the God dimension is only horizontal. It floats in midair, powered solely and entirely by the condition of your love for each other. It doesn't go deeper than that. Now hear me clearly when I say this. That doesn't mean that love isn't real. It doesn't mean that that love isn't deep. It doesn't mean that that love is not meaningful. In fact, I know of people of the same faith who don't love each other as well as people of different faiths. But without the God dimension in the relationship, what that means is there is a part of them that cannot connect with the one they love. The spirit part, the spiritual part. Now this, of course, can be navigated around, but it's still a loss. The loss of this important dimension. So if you're married to someone of a different faith or with no faith at all, don't leave them. Stay with your commitments. This is what God is upset about here is they broke their commitments. No, stick with your commitments. And realize that your love for each other is very real. God has not abandoned you. Pray and ask for help as you navigate this. But if you're dating someone who is not compatible with your faith decision, who does not share your decision to follow Jesus Christ, do not, and hear me clearly, do not fool yourself into thinking that this will be a minor thing in the future. It will not. Why did these men marry women who worshiped foreign gods? Well, for the same reason it happens today. They fell in love. And then they decided that the horizontal dimension, their love for this person, was more important than the vertical dimension. And what God is saying here is, it is not. They're both important. So we build love in midair. Love is now simply what two people feel about each other and nothing more. And God says, oh no, it's so much more than that. It is that, but there's more to it than that. Then the second reason we struggle now, whenever we cut off the vertical dimension, the God dimension of love, is we now build love on our words, not on God's words. We build love on our words. What we think and what we say and what we believe in, not on what God says is real and what is right. Malachi 2.17, God addresses this. It says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he's pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? Why is it that God is getting tired of hearing their words? This is what it says. I'm tired of your words. Why? Well, it's because their words are being used to say that God's words don't really matter anymore. How are they doing that? Well, they're saying, you know what? Everyone's good. There is no right. 
There is no wrong. Everyone's right. God's pleased with everyone. Is that what God says? No. But that's what is the common idea now. Everyone's right. It's not a new idea. This is 2,400 years ago. Why, why are they saying this? Well, you see, if you're going to marry someone who believes in a different God or no God at all, you're going to have to either agree to rarely, if ever, talk about the God that you believe in or the God they believe in or the God they don't believe in, or you're going to have to water down what God has said. And that's what they did. Does God say there's no right or no wrong? It doesn't really matter what you do? No, God doesn't say that. Any culture doesn't say that. So why did they say it? Well, because it's really, really hard to be married when you think your spouse is wrong about God. That's a real challenge. And so it's just easier to decide that, you know what, everyone's good. And therefore that God and his words are not that real. And that's what they were doing. And that's, that's what's done today. Let me show you a, an illustration that I think will, will help you understand more about how God designed love to work. Let's start with the horizontal dimension, two people with a line between them, indicating how close their relationship is. So as these two people uh, work on their relationship, they get closer together. As they struggle in their relationship and hurt each other, they, they move further apart. And so love is always a, a movement on this horizontal plane. Every relationship, whether it's marriage or whether it's friendship, is, is a dynamic relationship that's moving closer and then maybe not moving closer and then moving a little closer and then maybe a little further away. Love just exists on this horizontal dimension. But as we've said, God is above. It's kind of like a triangle. Our love for God is above our love for each other. So, what happens is if God is a common goal and a common foundation of relationship, what you gain now is another way that you can become close with each other. Without the God dimension, it's just simply your efforts and how well you're doing or not doing in that relationship. But what happens when these same two people, in addition to these efforts of working together on this relationship, they are working to get closer to God. What happens is they move closer to God. As you slide up this triangle, what happens to the two people? They get closer. That's the way God designed this to work. Because it's really hard for us to just get close enough with just our efforts. It's as we work on getting close to God and pleasing him that we are drawn closer to each other. That's the way God designed it to work. But the way we tend to build love now is without God, without the God dimension by simply putting efforts into moving toward each other. Now, that's great. But what happens when you hurt each other? What happens when you wrong each other? If there is no authority over the relationship, if everyone is good, if there is no right or wrong, then there's no answer to injustice. That's why this phrase is said here. Where is the God of justice? Well, you got rid of him. And now you want the God of justice? I mean, that's what we tend to do. Oh, no, there's, there's no right. Everyone's right. Everyone's good. 
And then someone hurts us, and we say, well, not you. That was wrong. Well, I thought you just said everything was okay. Well, no, but not that. And now we demand justice. And God says, well, you just cut me off, and now you want me to show up as the God of justice? You can't suddenly add God to the relationship after you've said everyone is good. In my relationship with my wife, this... This God of justice thing has been a real help to us. Let me explain what I mean by that. I can't tell you how many times Rebecca and I have wronged each other and justified it. You know, a couple months, we will have been married 35 years. That's a lot of hurt. Not intentionally. That's just the way marriage is. And most, if not all, of our arguments have consisted of me trying to convince her how she wronged me, and her trying to convince me of how I wronged her. And we usually don't make a lot of progress in convincing the other person. And then what will happen is maybe a day later, maybe two days later, now these, you know, these are the times when we really struggle, a day or later, two days later, she's spending time with God, reading the Bible and praying, and or, and or I'm spending time with God, reading the Bible and praying, so we're working on our relationship with God. You know, we're really struggling, but we're still trying to work on our relationship with God. And I'm reading something in the Bible, and I don't hear the words audibly, but as I read, God convicts me about what I did wrong. And he confirms in my spirit, yeah, you were a jerk. And I come out of that time, and I walk over to my wife, and I say, honey, I now see what you're trying to say. I couldn't see it, but now I see it. God's opened up my heart, and I see that, you know, that really was not right. Would you forgive me? And there's been a number of times the same thing has happened with her. And I can't tell you how amazing that is because I promise you we would not have ever been able to convince each other of that. Only God could have convinced us. That's the God of justice, the God that stands over us, that says, no, that was wrong. That has helped our relationship get unstuck so many times. Now the second part, breaking faith with people. This is going to address why we need God in order to not break faith with each other. It turns out we're not strong enough to never break faith. We need God's help. Here's what it says in Malachi 2, 15 through 16. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Well, it's because he was seeking godly offspring. Children who reflect the moral DNA of God. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your heart and do not break faith. You may have heard of this verse. God hates divorce. Now let me make it really clear. God does not hate divorced people. He hates divorce. Anyone I know who's gone through the horror of a divorce completely agrees with this verse. They'd write it themselves. I hate divorce. I hate it. I mean, it's, from what I can see, 
maybe even harder than death sometimes, as I've seen people go through the grief process. Now, what does God point to as the cause for this horrible experience? Breaking faith with each other. Where does that always occur? It always occurs in the same place. Now, the circumstances are always different. The reasons, the story is always unique. But it always boils down to the same location where it first happened, where the break first occurred. It always occurs in your spirit. That's where every divorce starts. And every break in every friendship starts. So that's why God says to protect these relationships, you're going to have to guard yourself in your spirit. See, we may not believe in God. Someone may not believe in God. They may not have the vertical dimension in their relationships or agree about who that God is. But that does not make this dimension go away. It's a dimension. It's real. We carry it in our spirits. And this affects our relationships in two ways that tend to cause breaks between us, whether it's marriages or friendships. The first way it affects us is we expect way too much out of each other. We expect too much. Why? Well, you see, if you remove the vertical dimension, as I said, in a relationship, that doesn't make it go away. You still have a spirit. They still have a spirit. And what that means is you still have a need for God, whether you agree with it or not. That's you still do. And what that means is you're going to have to find some way to fill that need another way. What tends to happen is we turn to the closest thing to God, and that is someone made in God's image. We turn to the most important people in our lives, and we ask them to step in and be our God. Now, we don't state this verbally. We don't formalize this. We just expect them to behave like our God. We expect them to do for us what really only God can do. We Expect them to be, be our center and our source of meaning and our entire purpose. We expect them to never fail us like God has promised he will never fail us. We make them into an idol. Not a physical idol like, like in ancient times, but the way the New Testament describes an idol. An idol is whenever we put someone or something on earth into the position of God. We elevate that person, that thing, to God-level status. We organize our lives around it. Our heart orbits around it. We may not physically bow before it, but boy, our heart sure does. And whenever we put God-sized pressure on any person to put our lives together, the relationship will eventually break under that strain because they are not, in fact, God. They're just people. They can give us some meaning and some purpose, but not God-level meaning, not God-level purpose. They can come through for us in a lot of ways, but not often enough and not in deep enough ways. If we make someone into an idol, they will, like every idol, eventually fail us. And that causes a break. You know, what's interesting to me over the years of marriage is my wife and I work on our relationship with God, and as our relationship with God grows, it's not perfect, but as it grows, 
what, one of the things that happens automatically is it reduces the pressure and the expectations that we place on each other. It took me maybe 20 years to really see this. As my wife grows in her walk with God, she doesn't expect me to be perfect anymore, which is really good because I'm not. And I don't expect her to always know what I'm thinking. And she always know what I... We, we understand that's just not possible. Only God knows what we're thinking. Only God knows what we need. That's really, I just can't tell you how much pressure that's taken off of our relationship. Most fights in most relationships occur when someone has not performed the God-level function we expected them to perform. And then we break faith. The second way this affects our relationships is we forgive too little. One of the greatest blessings we receive from our relationship with God is his forgiveness. I mean, without the direct and ongoing experience of God's grace and forgiveness in our own lives, it is really, really hard for us to turn around and offer the same thing to anyone else. It's just the way we are. It's really hard to give something that you've never received. In this case, forgiveness. And every relationship requires forgiveness. Marriage more than any. I mean, in marriage, we are wronged and we are disappointed regularly. And if we don't clear up that relationship, if we don't forgive, then it's going to stew. Same thing happens in friendships. And as we stew with the hurt, our hearts will begin to slowly drift away, one unresolved hurt at a time, until eventually we walk out in the relationship. We break faith. Now, this breaking of faith between people doesn't just happen in marriage, like I said. It happens between families. It happens between friends. And God takes this breaking of relationships very seriously. Why? It's an interesting phrase. He says, because I was seeking godly offspring. This is speaking, obviously, of families. But it affects more than that. Why does God want godly offspring? Well, the DNA of God's love is passed on the way all DNA is, from generation to generation. God's love isn't just something he dispenses from heaven directly. It travels through the lives of people. Families form and pass God's codes on to how to love to their children. That's what it means to be godly. Friends pass it on to friends. So what that means is whenever a relationship breaks, not just a marriage, but any relationship, when a relationship breaks, it's more than just a personal sadness. It is that. But it breaks a link, a spiritual link, that is the conduit that God wanted to use to bring all kinds of good on into the future, generation after generation. Now, sure, God can do a work around that break, but the damage is still done. We need help from God. So, as it says, guard yourself and your spirit and do not break faith. Work on both the dimensions of love. Let's pray. Father, we, we love. 
because you first loved us. And when we forget that, we really struggle to love. And Father, we live in a time right now where love is completely in midair. And that doesn't just mean a wrong, that, that represents a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. And Father, I pray that you'd speak to us personally about what you want us to do, how you want us to move forward. We've all made decisions and broken faith with you and broken faith with each other, and therefore there's hurt, there's damage in our lives. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your love. And we ask now that your grace would, would carry the day despite our failures. And we ask that you would help us in the relationships that we are in, the marriages that we are in, that we would love well. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ, who loved us. Amen.